It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. Lots of news. We're going to talk about PRISM yet again. Looks like Steve was right about uh, the SSL keys, too. And uh, the most amazing memo you've ever heard of from Homeland Security. It's all coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 414, recorded July 24th, 2013. Inflection Points. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network, VPN, that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones online. I'm Leo Laporte. That's Steve Gibson, the explainer-in-chief. Hello, Steve. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Hello, Leo. Did your mom watch? No, no, no. (laughs) Jenny sometimes, when she's, like, really bored. Or she wants to be bored. She wants to sleep. That's right. She says, I'll watch. (sighs) Well, Steve, it's nice to be here on the second anniversary of our move into the new... I well, still think and of I it as a, new studio. I got a very nice invitation from you guys to come up for it. The problem is I'm I'm in Orange County and we have basically a shack for an airport, which uh, is is you know used to be it used to be a shack that was paved and then of course it grew a little bit, but it's called you know John Wayne and quote International, which is a joke because it has a 10 p.m. curfew because the. the <laughs> The, the planes fly out over Newport Beach, where all the right, money is, right. and thus yeah, all the political, right. all the political power. Right. So, so you can't, you know. And so m- many times when I've been coming across the country, will be delayed, you know, at O'Hare or something, and or head too late. Right. You can't land after ten. So then they send you off to. What was that airport? You and I, uh, Ontario. Oh uh, no, over, that's where, the middle of nowhere. I know, and then they bust you, and you know you, you end uh, up getting here about one a.m. So you don't want to go well, anywhere, in other words. Well, the well, the point is that it, the only way to avoid that is to do a about an hour and a half drive up to LAX, which is a actual airport. Right. Um, and then anyway, so with the logistics of 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 the party you guys are having tonight, and I would have had to spend another night, and then basically it would have taken two days out of my life to come up and say hi to everybody so i thought well i'll just wave see there he's here 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 i am waiting glad you were here (laughs) i'm virtually there and uh and i'll be up later this year to actually be there in person so oh you will oh yeah oh good yeah i'm gonna come up i haven't seen my family for a couple years and 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 uh so yeah i'm gonna definitely come up well it's appropriate that's good yeah yeah and yeah so uh, we are having a lovely Italian dinner for thirty after the uh, shows tonight. <laughs> Intimate little th- Intimate that gathering. Great, actually. Staff Yay. and uh, staff you guys and have loved a, ones. You guys have a neat uh, Italian restaurant nearby. We have several. It's kind of hard to choose, but we're going nice. tonight to Cucina Paradiso. 
That's which great. is about two blocks from here. It's fun. Oh. Yeah, it's it's. Re- or are we going to? Re- no, we're going to Kachina Paradiso. Yeah, so it's fun. I mean, um, two years. It's kind of yeah. uh, kind of hard to believe we've been in here two years. Yeah. Um, and now we finally have a sign. I don't know if you saw. We put a sign up on the front so people can find us now. For a long time, it felt like we were renting. Uh, but well, believe me, if, if, those, if, if those are tenant improvements that you've put in, yeah. then oh, uh, they are, and we paid for it. We actually are. We actually are renting. Um, wow! But uh, le- you know, I figure we got a lease for a few more years, and I figure by that time we'll want a new studio. So no, no one's ever. You are never moving. <laughs> well, can you, you know, imagine? Can you just imagine? Doing this again, Leo? Yes. It, it would send, it would, everybody would have a nervous breakdown. You forget. You, to... you forget. I have a uh, whirlwind of a business partner, Lisa Kensel, who does this in her sleep. Mm. She could okay. do it. I mean, seriously, I, I have the no Indians qualms. Would revolt. The Indians no, would revolt. No, they wouldn't. They'd stay here, yeah. and then suddenly <laughs> one day we'd say, okay, don't come to work. Come to the other place, and there would uh-huh. be a new building, a new studio. Just magical. Well, yeah. and the other, the other thing that has to happen is, you know, uh, technology moves fast. Yeah. You but know? You, it's, what I really love about the way you built that place is it's modular. Right. You know, you really can upgrade it incrementally i mean it's really cool the way you had that basement that you could just drill right down to and run wires wherever you need to yeah and so it's true that we could upgrade technology in fact you know one of the funny things we're looking at at this point we had a big engineering meeting is the issue of whether to stay with uh macintosh and final cut mm. or to uh look you know because we're our, our our mac pros that we edit with and we render with and you need a high powered fast machine for rendering it takes a lot of time uh, so the more cores, the better. Uh, are getting a little outmoded, and the new Mac is going to. Uh, I'm waiting to see, but I think it's going to be very pricey and not very. What that practical. weird little cylinder thing? Yeah, because it has no storage, so you have to add uh, Thunderbolt yep. two devices, which don't even exist at this point. Um, and it's pretty limited. It certainly doesn't have any upgradeability in terms of. Are video you talking cards. about going pro outside of the PC w- world? No, we have to go PC, and what oh, okay. it means is we have to abandon Final Cut and go to Adobe Premiere, which is, ah. you know, I've talked to the editors, but I think we'll probably end up doing that, and because and, uh, we're really getting to the end of the line on these uh, Mac Pros. So, You're anyway, it, yeah. what happens, and, you know, they don't tell you this in the book, Build Your Own <laughs> Studio book, stuff, you know, it doesn't just stop. <laughs> Time moves, marches on, and uh, up, so, I, you know, we'll be here for a few more years for sure, but uh, eventually... I think we'll be moving. Would you think you would? Uh, the only reason I could ever justify a move is if you physically outgrew the space. That I mean, oh, we've already just, physically outgrown the space. No kidding. Oh yeah, they just took my wardrobe. I used to have a nice closet where all my <laughs> my shirts were. They just took it away from me, uh, so that uh, Patrick Delahant he has a place, has an office, has is a place to. He's a programmer, now? so he's in my closet oh, now. Okay. Well, the reasoning was programmers don't need windows. No. We put a glass that, door. That distracts them. If girls yeah. walk by, they no. just you know, focus, they, head down. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> Patrick's happy, and I and my shirts are in the back. <laughs> we literally we have Steve. Actually, we can't hire uh, many more people. We've actually outgrown it. Now we're subletting a third of the uh, space to the Pixel Core, but they're right, still over on the other side. They're not yep. showing any side of moving. So <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about me. Uh, let's talk about what are we going to talk about today? Well, I didn't know what to title this, so I I titled it in well, I okay, I call I titled it inflection points. All right. Because I I'm feeling like 
like from time to time in in history there there are periods where there's like a lot going on and in fact uh, to to sort of kick off the discussion of that in the second half of this podcast i i tracked down because i wanted to get it exactly right that recent and sort of famous now rom emmanuel quote you never want a serious crisis to go to waste and what i mean by that it's an it says rom what i mean by that it's an opportunity to do things you think you could not do before so i want this week to because this is still i mean every blog that i care about every security site that i look at that I mean we're still seeing the people you know working to understand what the snowden revelations were about and what that nsa's position means and believe it or not it hasn't all been said yet there, there i've got some really interesting new things that i want to share and you know, while I really want to keep us focused on technology and, and, you know, obviously we were just two weeks ago, we were talking about uh, perfect forward secrecy and what that means with regard to, for example, the notion of of traffic being stored and then decrypted later. Um, we'll get back, but I almost feel like it would be wrong for us not to not to look at at what's going on right now on on you know to 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 take a couple of weeks when we have to to say okay these things are still happening and and take a you know so let's discuss some of this uh what is still breaking news essentially and Bruce Schneier has been writing some fabulous uh blogs and and has some really i think insightful analysis of this that that i want to share and then we'll discuss you know it's funny people say oh let's not talk about prism anymore but it's such a story such a huge story such a big tech it is a technology story uh yeah. if we don't cover it i mean you know cnn has moved on they've got uh you know the zimmerman trial to talk about the the oh, birth of baby born boy yesterday baby exactly. boy george yeah. uh and so they've moved on but i think it's so important that we continue to talk about it, what it means the ramifications well and, and then yourself. i see even this morning, I start getting tweets from people saying, yep, Steve, you were right again. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what? What? Yeah, the and more that comes you know, out, the more accurate your analysis <laughs> seems to be. Yeah. Well, and it turns out, I mean, we were just discussing last week or the week before, I was, you know, this this theory I had about about SSL keys, the pressure that would be put on, and now comes this morning the story, and we'll be covering it here in a second, that in fact... These major providers have been under pressure to turn over their oh, yeah. SSL keys. Oh my so it's God! Like, really? Yes. <gasps> yeah, you oh, were doing you were doing Google this morning while this was happening, and so uh, there, it's it. There, there have we have multiple confirmed sources. Well, we this is it. This is the subject matter of the day. I don't think there's any reason to hold back. Let's uh, let's launch into it. Okay. So first of all, I, I didn't know where to put this piece because this is crazy. And I didn't want to, like, wait till the end because it might be all anybody remembered. This is so Looney Tunes. And, in fact, you know, it, this is almost – it's like that that crazy uh, 
the pilots' names that the station in San Diego made up that got them in so much trouble. My buddy sent me so the link. Locals and- here in San Francisco. I wish it. Oh, was through. it? Yeah, it was KTVU oh. Channel Two. Ah, uh, anyway, I I didn't believe it. I thought it was no. no. I thought it was the Onion. It cannot be possible. No. Yes. No, it could not be possible. How could anybody be that stupid? Well, and in that vein, exactly. If Bruce Schneier, who we've spoken of often, who is a world class cryptographer who who has designed several ciphers which are among the best uh written several books practical cryptography secrets and lies and there's like a third one now that uh i can't remember the title of but i mean mainstream guy and so if this wasn't from him i wouldn't believe it so this is july 17th the title of his blog was DHS, of course, our, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, puts its head in the sand. He's, and Bruce wrote, on the subject of the recent Washington Post Snowden document, the Department of Homeland Security sent this email out to at least some of its employees. So someone forwarded this to Bruce. Bruce redacted the from and the to and he had to remove some information from the CC also, but the subject of this actual and again, if if, if it weren't for if it weren't from Bruce, I go uh huh, good, uh, that that's funny, but no, this is real. Subject slash 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 security advisory slash 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 new Washington Post web. So this is from the DHS to its employees. New Washington Post web page article. Do not clink, click on this link. The letter reads, I have been advised that this article is on Washington. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I know. Can you believe it? I have been advised, says this letter, that this article is on the Washington Post's website today and has a clickable link titled The NSA Slide You Have Never Seen that must not be opened. If, for the, if this, you're in the, in, the, in the Department of Homeland Security. Right. If yeah. you are in the DHS yeah. and, and you cannot click this link. Why not, on Steve? The Washington Post's <laughs> website. A letter goes on to explain why. This link... Opens up a classified document. Yes. Which will raise the classification level of your unclassified workstation. <laughs> we're, not, we're not making this up, folks. Will raise the classification level of your unclassified workstation to the classification of the slide, which <laughs> is reported to be TS, that's top secret, yeah. slash NF. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, this has been verified. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, keep going. This has been <laughs> verified by our mission partner and the reason for this email. If opened on your home or work computer, you are obligated to report this to the SSO as your computer could then be considered a classified workstation. Mine is because I opened it. My God. Again, <laughs> please exercise good judgment. Uh, yeah, says this guy. When visiting these web pages and clicking on such links. Yes. You 
are violating non-disclosure agreement mm. in which you promise by signing that you will protect classified national security information. You may be subject to any administrative or legal action from the government. Oh, I would just quit. I would just say, you know what? I, I can't work for somebody so That's stupid. It. This is it. I'm leaving now. <laughs> Where hey, is Edward I, joining? You know, here's my response. Is uh -huh. it okay if I click the link and my eyes are closed? Does he... Now, he's not implying that the mere display of this JPEG will somehow trigger this in my computer? Yes. yes. Your computer would then have it in its cache. Yeah. And this is top secret, yeah. and you are not allowed to be in receipt no. of this information. You cannot. Despite the fact that the Washington Post and everybody else on the world in the we world. We all have seen it, but it's top it. secret. Yeah, and apparently you have to walk around also with your fingers in your ears because, my God, somebody might echo. I mean, they might read it to you, or they might want to discuss it with you. This is ridiculous. So Bruce says. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> this is true. This is these are the people protecting us, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, he said, "Bruce says this is not just ridiculous; it's idiotic. Why put DHS employees at a disadvantage by trying to prevent them from knowing what the rest of the world knows? Because it's top secret. <laughs> they don't know it." <laughs> Bruce says, "The point of classification is to." <laughs> is to keep something out of the hands of the bad guys. Once a document is public, the bad guys have it. The harm is done. Can someone think of a reason for this DHS policy? Oh, other wait a minute. State? Uh, we got to send out a new memo. Do not watch security now. The uh, slides on security. Oh, no. Close your eyes if you work for the DHS. Close your eyes right now. Oh, too late. You've yeah. now seen the slide. Oh, confess I'm your sin. Sorry. Sorry. Call the SSO. Confess. You have You're going to have go, to be. Uh, you have to go confess. You've got to go confess. Yeah. This is to... this is the most this is a, it most embarrassingly stupid thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Now you know why we had to lead with it because we couldn't we couldn't finish with it. The rest of the podcast is serious, but this is just Looney Tunes. So that makes me sad. I had to share it. These guys are supposedly protecting us, folks. Okay, so um, CNET this morning, our friend Declan McCullough, uh, and you might want to click the link, Leo, and look yeah, at the page. Hi, yeah, yeah. This is what you said. I, yep. Feds put heat on web firms for master encryption keys. The subheading, whether the FBI or NSA have the legal authority to obtain the master keys that companies use for web encryption remains an open question, but it hasn't stopped the U.S. government from trying. So explain to us what having these keys would do. Allow me, I, I, I'm going to share the, the, the story yeah, Go here. ahead, go ahead. He really covers it, and then we'll discuss if there's any loose ends. He says, the U.S. government has attempted, has attempted to obtain the master encryption keys, and he, he does, he, he'll disambiguate all this in a second, that Internet companies use to shield millions of users' private web communications from eavesdropping. These demands for master encryption keys, which have not been disclosed previously, 
represent a technological escalation in the clandestine methods that the FBI and the National Security Agency employ when conducting electronic surveillance against Internet users. If the government obtains a company's master encryption key, agents could decrypt the contents of communications intercepted through a wiretap or by invoking the the potent surveillance authorities of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA. Web encryption, which often appears in a browser with an HTTPS lock icon when enabled, uses a technique called SSL, or Secure Sockets Layer. Quote, The government is definitely demanding SSL keys from providers, unquote, said one person who has responded to government attempts to obtain encryption keys. The source spoke with CNET on condition of anonymity. The person said that large Internet companies have resisted the requests on the grounds that they go beyond what the law permits, but voiced concern that smaller companies without well-staffed legal departments might be less willing to put up a fight. Quote, I believe the government is beating up on the little guys, the person said. The government's view is that anything we can think of, we can compel you to do, unquote. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, uh, um, A Microsoft spokesperson would not say whether whether that company has received such requests from the government. They can't, by the way. We should just point out. They probably can't. Precisely. But when asked whether Microsoft would turn over a master key used for web encryption or server-to-server email encryption, the spokesperson replied, no, we don't, and we can't see a circumstance in which we would provide it. Google also declined to disclose whether it had received requests for encryption keys, but a spokesperson said the company has, quote, never handed over keys, unquote, to the government, and that it carefully reviews each and every request. Quote, we're sticklers for details, frequently pushing back when the requests appear to be fishing expeditions or don't follow the correct process, unquote, the spokesperson said. A Facebook spokesperson declined to answer questions. Oh. I know. One person familiar with Facebook's internal procedures predicted that the company would vigorously fight a request for encryption keys. Apple, Yahoo, AOL, Verizon, AT&T, Opera Software's FastMail.fm, Time Warner Cable, and Comcast all declined to respond to queries about whether they would divulge encryption keys to government agencies. And anyway, so the article goes on to to explain what we already all know, which is this is precisely what we were talking about uh, in the last week or two. Yeah, and to clarify, it wouldn't it, the the per, the real import of this is not so much that they could then watch you live now, although that would be one thing, but Actually, more they'd get the if they get the old expired keys that they could go back through the data they've been dumping and decrypt it. Post facto, ex post facto. Yes. So, so uh, exactly as we were talking about when we were talking about perfect forward secrecy, um, the the adoption of perfect forward secrecy, which is as yet incomplete, the technology is there, but remember it requires both sides to agree. Um, 
that technology means that having those master keys would not allow them to decrypt because the the master key in an ephemeral key agreement is not what the what is not used to encrypt the key itself it is used in all ssl virtually all today it's only when both sides agree to this not yet in in high use approach the so-called di- the the ephemeral diffie hellman that we talked about extensively we did a podcast on it um only then would the master key not help so 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 what they're talking about and and we still there's still this question again i will as i said that the thing that really creeped me out was the idea that all the encrypted traffic is being stored and when old keys expire there i could easily see the government i mean what what we're talking about now is the current key the the, the key in use so there is, their denial is relevant to the current key only they might have handed over older keys or i guess well, it depends on how they how they parse it exactly how you parse the language right. if they said we have never in our history turned over any encryption keys yeah, yeah, then yeah. that's broader than we'd never turned over the keys we're using right. for example but right. you know and but and, and you could almost see that this is why it's so creepy you could see the government making the case for we don't want to decrypt what you're doing now yeah we don't we, care we want we want your old keys yeah not the old stuff but but what this story says the government is actually saying well and leo get this, this i mean the only reason they want those keys is they're tapping this also perf- this is this is right unless they have the data you don't need the key right this is perfect comp- uh, confirmation that what the government is getting is encrypted data which also confirms the theory that which is you know and we're seeing more confirmation of this coming around that they're they're tapping the internet and then they're going to the people whose communications is doing the encryption like Google and saying we need the keys and and the, and Google is saying no and I think there's legal and I'm not a lawyer but legal precedent for getting older keys because you remember that one of the stories was that uh, the law deems email older than six months old as abandoned that there is no right to privacy mm-hmm. to anything older than six months old. It's not yours anymore. It's abandoned. Ooh, and boy. so I would bet that, the, and, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm just trying to think logically, that that yeah. would be a justification. Hey, these this what we're asking for the keys for is abandoned. It's nobody's email. It's just old stuff. Um, and I think it would be harder to fight that in court. Yeah. It breaks SSL uh, in the sense that you're encrypted for everybody who doesn't have the key. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. I'm that once I get Spinrite six one launched, I'm going to have to do something I haven't ever done before, which is it's time to do some browser add-ons. Well, and look at this. This is from SSL Labs. That uh, SSL report on Google.com. They are supporting a Google.com forward secrecy with modern browsers. Yes. So uh, your Google searches are protected if you use a modern browser. 
Yes. And so yes. getting the keys with if forward secrecy is implemented is is meaningless. Well, so but here's the problem. Yeah, it's well almost. Remember that that because most servers don't yet implement it on the server side right. and only some browsers implement it on the browser side. It's only when they both agree that it happens. Uh. Now there's there's the possibility of a so-called downgrade attack where where when that first packet of ciphers goes off towards the server, somebody who's doing a man in the middle just removes the Diffie-Hellman ephemeral ciphers from the list of ciphers the browser will support, in which case the server will choose one that, that doesn't have that, and you won't get perfect forward secrecy, even though both ends could. Wow. Yeah. You know, you got to figure they're working on stuff like that. Yeah. Every time a, a more secure system comes up or a system they can't break into, uh, law enforcement starts to whine. We can't wiretap these people and makes, you know, start, start making moves to getting access to that data once again. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we're going to come back to this uh, toward in the second half of the show, some of these issues. I did want to mention the the news uh, and I'm surprised at the at the persistence of this, Leo. Um, it was last Thursday that Apple announced that the developer site was hacked at Apple.com. And this morning I went there and the notice is still up and the developer site is still offline. Uh, what's up says, we'll be back soon. Now this is almost a week now. Last Thursday, an intruder attempted to secure personal information of our registered developers from our developer website. Sensitive personal information was encrypted and cannot be accessed. However, we have not been able to rule out the possibility that some developers' names, mail addresses, and or email, or sorry, mailing addresses and or email addresses may have been accessed. In the spirit of transparency, we want to inform you of this issue. We took the site down immediately on Thursday and have been working around the clock since then. So now we're at seven days. In order to prevent a security threat like this from happening again, we are completely overhauling our developer systems, updating our server software, and rebuilding our entire database, which this had, this raises more questions for me than it than it should. They say, we apologize for the significant inconvenience that our downtime has caused you, and we expect to have the developer website up again soon. If your program membership has was set to expire during this period, it's been extended, and your app will remain on the App Store. If you have any other concerns about your account, please contact us. Thank you for your patience. So it's like, wow, you know, a week. I, I, don't, I, I can't imagine the nature of of this, but it doesn't sound like a small problem. It sounds like maybe this never really got the attention it deserved. And when they gave it the attention it deserved, like when maybe some smart people said, you know, what happened? They looked at what was there and said, oh, my Lord. <laughs> How has this been allowed to be up for so many years? So, you know, they're apparently they're just rebuilding the whole thing. Yeah. From scratch. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 
Uh, and so who knows how long? They just said soon. They don't, they're not projecting a, a time. It'll coming be back. up on a week now. Yeah. So security, the, the, the SC magazine uh, that builds themselves at the, the security magazine for IT professionals uh, carried an interesting article, not very long and very frightening. So, and I really can't paraphrase it without, without changing it. So I'm just going to share it with everybody. That's hundreds of millions at risk from SIM card Vulnerability. This is Monday, two days ago. Berlin-based security research labs flipped the mobile security market upside down recently when they published reports about just how vulnerable SIM cards are to cyber attacks. You know, SIM cards obviously are the little, the little identity cards that many of our phones have that contain their identity. Um, Karsten Knoll, founder of Security Research Labs, said his company had been working to crack SIM cards for three years, and they finally found a way to do it, most notably without raising alarms. Quote, we have a way of breaking SIM cards remotely, Knoll told SC Magazine on Monday, without any evidence and with no way of preventing it or even noticing it. So this sounds like a, I mean, a major SIM card security breach, which is effectively, you know, all SIM cards. An attacker who takes advantage of the vulnerability, Noel said, will be able to download software onto the victim's SIM card, locate the phone, send texts, and make phone calls to any phone number, including pricey premium numbers, and ultimately operate the device as the normal owner would. Anything else stored on the SIM card, such as credit card information, is also accessible, said Noel, adding some finance groups are looking to move transaction payments to phones and that it might represent additional problems since the information will be stored on the SIM. What is opening up what is opening up this kind of vulnerability to hundreds of millions of mobile phones worldwide out of nearly seven, okay, hundreds of millions, oh, out of... It's, a, it's about one-eighth of all existing phones. It's okay, not a huge of, number. Okay. A seven billion SIM cards... Sorry, exist. it is a huge number, but it's still a fraction. It's a fraction. Is the use of antiquated DES... That's the data encryption standard technology for over-the-air short message service, that's SMS, transmissions used by mobile carriers. So it's not all phones. It's, a, it's hundreds of millions that apparently are, that haven't moved from using DES. Yeah. It's not any modern phone. It's not the iPhone. It's not modern phones. It's older um, phones. The problem is there's a lot of older phones in use. And the, guys, the question is, is it older SIM cards right. or is it older phones? So it may be the technology in the, in the SIM card. Yeah, but if you have an old SIM card, it doesn't work in a modern phone. Oh, uh, okay. And so right, that's right. So you you know you're getting a newer phone. It's like oh, sorry, you can't use that SIM card. You have to use the new guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what's going to happen is at the end of this month, at the upcoming Black Hat conference, we're going to find out uh, more about this. They have notified. Uh, they did full responsible disclosure. All the cell phone companies were notified many months ago. Um, in order to take the and in order to identify and remove these cards from service um, and or 
upgrade the firmware, do whatever they need to in order to close this hole. Because uh, a few weeks from now, or actually, I guess it's next week, uh, we're going to be finding out how to do this. Triple, I mean, DES has been cracked for years. Nobody yeah, well, uses well, DES. Well, it's old. Yeah, it's, it, it, we the, use well, triple DES now. The problem is, it's the key is too short. DES is a 56-bit key. And so triple or three DES, triple DES, all it is is three DESs in series and the keys concatenated. So you take each of the, 50, of the 56-bit keys and you stick them together to form a composite key that is three times as long. And then you run your, you run your plain text through the first one with the first third of the key, through the middle one with the middle third of the key and through the last one with the last third of the key. So, it's, I mean, so it's, it's not the DES was ever really a bad cipher, but it's a classic case of it being so old that a key length that used to seem secure is laughable right. these days. This is not but, probably an issue but, in the U.S., but in the third world, especially in countries like Af- or continents like Africa where they use their phones for e-payments, Using yeah. things like M-Pesa, that could be huge. Yeah, and so, and it must be that this is more than just short key, or, the, or you know, there must be some sort of a hack because I mean, even if it's, if it's an over-the-air attack, it still would be burdensome to do any sort of a brute force hack. So it, it can't be that. You know, we'll we'll find out in a week. But, you know, because, I mean, we, we say, oh, 56 bits, that's nothing. Except remember that 32 bits is 4 billion. So, so you know, this is, this is, even though it's short relative to any kind of contemporary brute force attack, if you're trying to brute force something over a cell phone connection, that, that's still a lot of hacks. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's something other than a brute force attack. We just, we just don't know yet. But as you say, it's not to be, you know, laughed at. Um, okay. Now this is, uh, I got a bunch of tweets from people and, you know, so I was made aware of this. Um, uh, and this is worrisome. Uh, uh, the, the, the BBC carried the story that the UK was proposing requiring ISPs to default block online pornography. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, so it's okay uh, though. You can go to your ISP and say, "Hey, I want to see porn." Yeah, uh, this is, there's all this is. It's sort of interesting. It says most households <laughs> in the I know most households <laughs> in the UK will have pornography blocked by their internet provider unless they choose to receive it. Says said David Cameron in a speech a couple days ago. He said, "In the balance between freedom and responsibility." We have neglected our responsibility to children. No. Mr. Cameron warned in a speech that access to online pornography was corrupting childhood, unquote. Mr. Cameron also called for some horrific, is his words, internet search terms to be blacklisted, meaning they would automatically bring up no results on websites such as Google or Bing. He told the BBC he expected a row with service providers who, he said in his speech, were not doing enough to take responsibility despite having a moral duty to do so. Also warned 
um, he could have to force action by changing the law and that if there were technical obstacles, firms should use their greatest brains, as he put it, to overcome them. In his speech, Mr. Cameron said family-friendly filters, which is hard to pronounce, uh, would be automatically selected for all new customers by the end of the year, although they could choose to switch them off. And millions of existing computer users would be contacted by their Internet service providers and told they must decide whether or not to use family-friendly filters to restrict adult material. The filters would apply to all devices linked to the affected home Wi-Fi network and presumably wired networks and across and across public Wi-Fi networks, quote, wherever children are likely to be present. Customers who do not click on either option, accepting or declining, will have filters activated by default, said uh, the Tory MP Claire Perry. Mr. Cameron's advisor on sexualization and commercialization of childhood uh, when interviewed by the BBC. The UK's biggest Internet service providers have agreed to the filter scheme, meaning it should cover 95 percent of homes. Unbelievable. Why, why be know. a parent? We can let the government do it. You know, let the government raise your kids. That's a good idea. So apparently also during this, other measures announced by the prime minister included new laws so videos streamed online in the UK will be subject to the same restrictions as those sold in shops. Search engines having until October to introduce further measures to block illegal content. Um, And experts from Child Exploitation and Online Protection Center being given more powers to examine secretive file sharing networks. Um, okay, so that should scare people. Yeah, how would I know. you do that? I know. And there was one quote that really gave me a chill, uh, only because this demonstrates the slipperiness of the slope. This Ms. Perry, uh, Claire Perry, who's um, this advisor on sexualization and commercialization of childhood, um, she was quoted saying, um, uh, former child exploitation and online protection center. Oh no, that's the wrong quote. I uh, heard Miss Perry argued filters would make a difference, saying that the killers of schoolgirl girls April Jones and Tia Sharp had accessed pornography before moving on to images of child abuse. So, you know, I mean, it's like this is all horrible, but. You know, as you said, not to mention millions of other Britons who've never killed anyone. Yeah, right, right. And it's like it's like the argument. It's like the argument. And who decides what's porn? Is five hundred px porn? Well, is Flickr porn? I I tweeted this morning because I was reminded of the famous uh, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart, who in 1984 said, you know, when this was, you know, at the Supreme Court, saying, "Well, I can't define it." But I know it when I see it. Yeah. And it's like, and so what I tweeted was, I know it when I see it is not a computer algorithm. <laughs> oh, Lord. And that's, and that's the problem. And, and then, of course, all the, all, every time we've tried to do filtering, we found problems. I, right. found, I was doing a little poking around, and I found um, a, a, a reference to an example 
on uh, the topic of can filters work effectively. Filtering pornography is fiendishly difficult to do accurately. Although the technology is improving, filters set up in hospitals several years ago had to be switched off after doctors were unable to access clinical studies on breast cancer. Well, that's got because boobs. Exactly. Can't have that. So, you know, still have page, a, page three, but you can't have boobs from from a from a programmer standpoint. One of the one of the worst, one of the most insidious things. And this is not even programming, but even the law is a fuzzy definition there. I mean, a fuzzy definition gets you in all kinds of trouble. Um, once upon a time, boy, back in the early history of the podcast, I did a podcast on the 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 like some of the problems that programmers have and one of them was fuzzy definitions if you ever define like a variable and you give it a bad name that is you don't you don't name it exactly what it means or if if you're writing something really complex and and you as the programmer aren't absolutely sure what it means then then you're in danger whether it's a year later you come back and try to read your code or even a, a week later when you're still writing the code, you could, you could interpret its meaning differently. And that's, it's a constant source of bugs is, is a funny definition of, of something. And in the law, we see this. You see legislation all the time passed where they, where, where, you, you have to wonder if they couldn't have gotten it passed with a firm definition. So they softened it kind of with a wink, wink, you know, to the opposition saying, well, let us have this. But look the way we worded this. This won't really be a problem, well, and which ends up being a, a, the, what, what they fight over is, is exactly the fuzziness of that. So one of the ISPs in the Britain, Talk Talk, uh-huh. is uh, using a system called HomeSafe, which is created by, are you ready? Huawei, which is owned by the Chinese government. Oh. Uh, it harvests every URL visited by TalkTalk Talk customers, follows them to each web page, scans for threats, creates a master blacklist and a whitelist of dangerous and safe URLs. Wow. So it's full-on spyware also. Yeah, among other things. Yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, Ms. Perry's website apparently has been... Hacked and loaded with porn. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there. In in researching this, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, it's the the as you said, Leo. The question is, where is the responsibility? And as you push responsibility upstream, away from. The parents of children. I mean, I recognize this is a problem. I mean, there is awful stuff on the Internet. There, there's horrific imagery that, you know, you and I were not exposed to as 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 children. Um, but but the problem is unintended consequences. And and what's funny is, as I was thinking about this again, from a technology standpoint, the problem, the fundamental problem is the Internet was never designed to, to, for filtering. I mean, and in fact, just the opposite. The internet interprets filtering as a problem and routes around it. 
You know, I mean, it it's it's designed to get data through. And so there's, you know, and so like in all these case studies, anytime filters have been put up, people get around them. They they use proxies. They use VPNs. They I mean, it the the, the internet itself is is ill designed to be an enforcement mechanism, and which is something we've talked about come at from all different angles over the years in this podcast. So you know, you're you're inherently asking it to do something it's not designed to do. Well, let's hope it fails in this case. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, feel sorry I, for I mean, Britons, and, and you know, frankly. I, um, it just makes your country a third world nation if you if you uh, in, in you know filter the internet. So it's a, yeah, in the long run, it's a very poor strategy. Right. If suddenly Google results don't give you the same things because yeah. your government has decided you're not mature enough yeah. to handle the consequences of of the search criteria that, that you put in. Yeah. Uh, now this is interesting. I only found one reference to this, but I'm I'm hopeful. And, you know, again, Declan McCullough at CNET does his homework. Um, the headline was Google tests encryption to protect users' drive files against government demands. Oh. I know. And this was Declan. So he said they subhead the search giant is seeking ways to armor User files, sources say, a move that could curb government surveillance attempts. Google has been experimenting, has begun experimenting with encrypting Google Drive files, a privacy protective move that could curb attempts by the U.S. and other governments to gain access to users' stored files. Two sources told CNET that the Mountain View, California-based company is actively testing encryption to armor files on its cloud-based file storage and synchronization service. One source who's familiar with the project said a small percentage of Google Drive files is currently encrypted. The move could differentiate Google from other Silicon Valley companies that have been the subject of ongoing scrutiny after classified national security agency slides revealed the existence of government computer software, blah, blah, blah. So we know nothing about this yet, but I will definitely keep my eyes open for this we know that the only way this can be done in in tno style is if there is software in the client and or in your web page to do pre-internet encryption and it's entirely doable i mean and google's in a perfect place to do this and the other really significant factor, I tried to, I saw a link somewhere and I, and I tried to find it again and I was unable to track it down again. But, and this is really significant. If the provider does not have the keys, then they are not required to hand over any information. Uh-huh. And and so that's the way the law well, is they today. They couldn't, right? If They, don't they can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they can Require say. Require all you want. Yeah, I mean, here's a well, blob. Well, wait a minute. They could get the decrypted, uh, encrypted blob. They could probably get the encrypted blob. They could say, you know, we, we demand this. And then Google says, okay, here you go. But we cannot decrypt it for you. And, and the point is, in a properly designed system, neither could the government. We have all the technology we need. We just haven't rolled it out yet. And one of the really 
heartening things about this. I mean, this is this is why from the first moment of that we covered the Snowden news, I said, I'm not unhappy that this happened because in, in this country, we've got to shine light on these things in order to, to keep this from happening. And as, as we'll see here in a minute, as, as we continue, there are, there, this has really raised some ire in important places where, where I think it needed to get raised. So, so congrats, pro- provisional congrats to Google. It would be great if they actually turned Google Drive into a TNO encrypted drive solution. They entirely could. Absolutely, we have the ability to do that if they chose to. And I picked up a blurb in the Sands newsletter that, you know, this won't come as any news to anyone, but it just, it, actually, it was a little surprising still. On the horrific state of Java, uh, Sands wrote, and they, they summarized a bunch of coverage of this, so I'll just use theirs. According to a study from Bit9, it's a secure, well-known security organization we've, we've quoted often, many organizations are running outdated, vulnerable versions of Java. Okay, well, that's not a huge surprise, but here's some numbers. 82% of organizations were found to be running Java 6, which is considered to be the most vulnerable version. Many organizations have more than... Okay, on I'm glad one there's agreement. Now, there's consensus. Yes. On one <laughs> machine, many organizations have more than 50 different versions of Java. Well, you don't want to their get rid of any. There might... They might need them. And you wonder, where did those 50 come from? Don't they uninstall when you install a new version? No. This continues, says, this is due to the fact that the Java installation and update process does not remove older versions of the software. Unbelievable. (laughs) Just piles up in there. Just keep it all. Just wonder where those gigabytes of of your hard drive are going. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Companies would be well advised to update to the newest Java release, Java 7, update 25, and counting. And here is the final one. Less than 1% of organizations were found to be running this latest version of Java. What? Yeah, 1%. 1%. Wow. And we keep seeing Java exploits are the way people are getting into things. Well, we know companies are conservative about in IT departments about installing software, but this is one place where it would be better not Ooh, to be. Boy. Yeah. So I wanted, one of the things I have on my short list of topics is we're going to go in depth into PGP. Um, great, because, great, great. Yes. We now, uh, cover- when you say PGP, we should mention PGP is a commercial product, which is, I think, owned by Symantec now. But, oh, okay. And th- then, well, okay, the PGP protocol. We're going to talk about Open PGP, which is the open yes. source version of that. And and GPG. Which is the GNU Privacy Guard, which is the one I use and a lot of people recommend. And and we're seeing, by the way, I've been getting a lot of uh, encrypted email from people saying, hey, does this work? Ah, and I'm cool. glad I'm glad to be the uh, other end of that. Well, there is a very slick looking, I have not vetted it, so so that needs to be said. But a very slick-looking $2 app on iTunes for either the iPhone or the iPad called IPG Mail. And you can go to IPGmail.com to, to get introduced to it. Um, as they say in their description, IPG Mail 
is an iPhone iPad app for sending and decrypting PGP encoded messages. With governments and corporations increasingly infringing upon our privacy, we must take steps to protect our private communications and files. With PGP encryption, you can secure your messages and files to ensure that only the intended recipients are able to read them. So this is this is TNO for email point to point. P, con, continuing that um, their their description, PGP is a well-established protocol for protecting data with strong encryption using public key cryptography. It is widely used throughout the world for protecting private exchanges. That's, for example, how Edward wanted to communicate with with Glenn at, at the Guardian, and now it is available on your iOS-based mobile device for a nominal price, $199 U.S. With IGP Mail, you can exchange encrypted and digitally signed private messages with others in your PGP chain of trust from your iOS device. IPG Mail is fully functional. It's not crippled with limited functionality to entice you to purchase add-ons, nor does it present you with ads or other nuisances. The app supports key generation, public and private key import and export, and both encryption and decryption of files or email messages. IPG Mail supports Dropbox as a way to import or export keys ah, or files. That's where I keep my keys. Good. From, yep, from the app and to enable easier sharing among your devices and computers. IPG Mail integrates with the iOS mail application and... I, oh, integrates with the iOS mail application and makes the process of sending and receiving secure private messages simple. So I've not checked it out yet. I will, but I wanted to let everybody know. It looks very nice. I mean, they, they, they're saying all the right things. $2, you know, is the right price. And, you know, for iPhone and iPad uh, with with integration, they also have a a developer API where they register their own URL schema, x-ipgmail, colon, and that allows other apps to interact with it. So they may be able to create an ecosystem around this, and, it'd be, and they've, they've fully published it, so it could also become um, a, a standard. I so, don't understand how it will work with iOS Mail. I'm, I'm downloading it uh, right now yep. and, and installing it. So, yep. I haven't um, yet. But um, we're we're going to get into this because uh, this is <laughs> sadly becoming yeah. increasingly important. Yeah. All right. And um, a very interesting looking uh, item on Kickstarter that I wanted to give our our listeners a heads up to an NFC ring that you wear on your hand. It's you you can just Google NFC space ring and you'll find not only the link to Kickstarter. But a lot of coverage about this because a lot of people are interested. It's and I expected the thing might be a big bulky clunky thing, but it's actually very nice looking. Um, they they've got it's got twenty five days to go still, and it just shot past its its funding goals. Um, it uses um, a, oh and and Leo, if you want to play the video, it's pretty short. The tech crunch link there in the show notes that's got the best the, the best of the videos the kickstarter video has the the guy explaining in much more detail but 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 the TechCrunch uh linked video is very short and uh and has some nice sound in it should i play it yeah did you want me to play it yeah 
Let's, let's, let's right. play it. I had stepped away from the... Ah, sorry. I missed, missed you mentioning that. Let me play it right now. Here it is. I like them. They look like wedding rings. You have the UK version, but there's a US version as well. Ah, good. Introducing the NFC ring, wearable technology that can be used to unlock doors and mobile phones, transfer information, link people, and much more. If you've not heard of NFC, it stands for Near Field Communication, a wireless technology that can transfer data over very short distances. Built into the ring are two tiny transmitters, one for public information, the other for private data. That's all. No batteries, no need for charging, no fuss. Just a low-profile ring that can be worn all the time to help perform everyday tasks simply by touching your hand against an NFC-enabled device. So, what can it do? It can unlock your NFC-enabled phone without the need to enter a pin or even touch the screen. Grab yourself an NFC door lock and it can lock and unlock your door. Ooh! Use it to share uh-huh. information, Wi-Fi passwords, links to websites or photos, contact information, or anything else you think is suitable to be shared with your friends' devices. It can be set to hold your public Bitcoin address, for example, so you can receive Ooh. payments. <laughs> or you could use the NFC ring to automatically launch apps with custom settings, making it a really easy way to personalize app experiences to match your ring. On top of all that, the software we've developed is open source, so you're free to invent your own uses and create applications to have it act however you want. This is just the beginning. We've got big plans for the NFC ring, and we believe that this tiny piece of wearable technology can make a big difference. Thanks for watching, and thank you for your support. So does that all make sense? It does. Um, uh, there's several things I like about it. Um, it. First of all, it is beautiful. I mean, it's just a yeah. thin band. It looks like a little carbon um, fiber on the uh, edges of it. Um, the idea is... It, it has an orientation to it, so there is some some coloration. The about about half of the circumference is the public side, which you wear on the outside of your hand, facing you know the back of your hand, and the inner side is is a is a much narrower, a, about a quarter of the circumference and that's private they so there's actually two separate nfc systems there the idea being that that when you that that you know the inside of your hand is the personal side and so that's what you would grab the doorknob with to open to unlock a door that's what you when you hold your cell phone the ring is up against the back of it so you're communicating your personal side but the, the 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 cool concept is the antenna is much larger on the public side so any attempt to query this from a distance would get the public signal more strongly than the private signal so it would swamp the private one and or the worst at the worst they would mix together and and get no reading at all um anyway i just it just seemed like a, a a nifty thing. Um, I'm glad to know that there's a, a U.S. based link because you're right. I had oh, there I had, isn't it? So I, I was mistaken because it's a U.K. Oh, okay. project. I guess everything's in British pounds. Ah, okay. But it'll convert. I mean, uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm signing up right now. I can't decide though if I want the beefy man size because it's one size. Unfortunately, <laughs> no, no, right? no. The, uh, in the small size, you do get a range. So you're ah, right, you're right. okay. 
Uh, You're able to tell them what 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 your ring size is, and then the so it's, so the basic the 18 pound version's gone, but the 22 pound uh, plus three do, three pounds to ship, so 25 yep. pounds, which is about 35 dollars. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's bad at all, uh, and you yeah. know potentially very cool. I should warn people, having had some experience with Kickstarter, you don't always get what you. May not work out. May not. But, I mean, uh, I would say go there, look at all the videos. The guy's very sincere. He's been doing a lot of engineering and, and forming. He's got a whole, a whole box full of prototypes uh, that, that he's been putting together. So, it, you know, looks like it could happen. You can have custom covers, a custom message engraved on the inside of the ring. <laughs> wow. All for different levels, you know. Yes. Yeah. Be good wedding ring, NFC ring. Give yeah. your give your uh, your spouse to be your your, uh, your PGP key. You she gives you hers, <laughs> and then you can go off encrypted into the future. So today, um, on Amazon, there are a couple free books offered for the Kindle. Uh, one is the very first Honor Harrington book. Oh, good on Basilisk station mm. and elaine you'll be glad to hear that i pronounced it correctly on <laughs> have you been pronouncing Basilis- it wrong no no she i didn't know i i think i was i was originally pronouncing it wrong and when she heard my horrific pronunciation she corrected me ah. uh apparently it's what is it it's some sort of a it's like a gargoyle it's a, it's a evil creature I thought it was an amphibian thing i don't remember now well you know there's the basilisk in harry potter but i think it's a it's a it's like half dragon half Lion half. Let me look it up on uh, Wikipedia. Anyway, it is a great book. If you have a Kindle, if you have not already plowed into the Honor Harrington series, here it is for free. And believe me, <laughs> this is a tease because you'll end up with the rest of the books, at least, you know, the next 14 of them or so. In European Beast Cherries and Legends, a basilisk is uh, the king of serpents said to have the power to cause death with a single glance. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know how that's relevant to the book because it really the, has nothing to do with the book at all. There's no basilisks yeah. there, but anyway, it's a great book. It's free right now on Amazon for the Kindle. As is an interesting little, sh- very short story. Believe it or not, this sounds like an oxymoron. A Peter Hamilton short story, um, but actually, it is. It's like thirty-nine pages. It's called. It's titled <laughs> "If at First. <laughs> I don't think Peter can really. That's not even a prologue for Peter. That's. I don't no, know if he can get not. started uh, in that short. Span. I, I, yeah, yeah. It, and it's a neat funny. story. It's fun. fun. If at first, it's also free today. Um, but and I'll talk about Peter in a second. But since we last spoke, I read another book, Leo. Wow, um, two. You're good. You're way ahead of the game now. Yeah. Um, oh, just teasing I you. Read cover to cover. A book titled House of Sons. Hmm. Uh, It's by a Welsh author, Alastair Reynolds. And he's a well-known sci-fi author. Uh, He's known for his Revelation Space series. The first book is titled Revelation Space, and then then he's written other books set in the Revelation Space universe. House of Sons, I really enjoyed it. Um, And... What's cool about it, and I, you know, I'm always careful never to spoil, uh, and this doesn't, but this explores the idea not of so much of deep space as deep 
time, <clears throat> which mm. is a cool idea. Mm. In in this universe, um, uh, there is no warp drive. There's no FTL, no faster than life, no wormholes, none of those gimmicks. You know, Einsteinian laws and relativity exist, and they've never been broken. And so humanity has never succeeded in doing anything other than use vast amounts of power to really come close, you know, 99.999999, some nines, close to the speed of light. Well, we know what happens then. You get relativistic time dilation so that time happens. Ah, don't you? Um, unless you're on the ship, in, in which case you come back to the Earth and everyone you, you ever knew notice. is it's just gone, yeah, of course. Yeah, dead. So the idea, of course, with relativity is that time appears from the outside frame of reference to, have, to be moving very, very slowly at the frame of reference on the ship. So imagine, imagine a, 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 a next, I mean, a culture where the... Humans are spending a large portion of their time moving around the galaxy at very close to the speed of light. And, and during the time that they're doing this, civilizations rise and fall. And so, so they end up at some point in, at, the, at the other end of the universe's or the galaxy's life and the galaxy is filled with the leftovers. I mean, like massive, you know, huge engineering projects of civilizations long gone and all kinds of cool stuff. So anyway, it was a really interesting read and, uh, and I enjoyed it. So if anybody is looking for something, there's that. But Leo, I have started in on the trilogy. Uh-oh. Yeah. Something else I'm going to have to read now. Well, The Dreaming Void. Oh, yeah, I've read that. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a long-ass trilogy, I might Boy. Um, so everyone knows, as, as you know, that Peter Hamilton has never written a short book. This is not my um, favorite, by the way. I'd be curious what you're... Uh, yeah, um, I'm... There's good I'm, stuff in it. Yes, I'm enjoying it. I'm 75% through book one, and and it's it's definitely a sequel to... Um, Pandora's Star yeah. and Judas Unchained, you know, th those books, because there's lots of references back to those books. So those are fabulous. I mean, you know, unreserved, you know, unreserved recommendations for those. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying these. So we'll see. And, and what are you thinking about the road? Or, or, or did, are you still pursuing? It's the long. Yep. Uh, I've already, I'm already like uh, 20 hours into it and only about halfway through. I don't know what that translates into pages, but it's long. Um, yeah. and, um, it's good. I love it. If you like Peter F. Hamilton, it's just like living in his universe some more. Yeah. Um, it, but it has lots of twists and turns and it's quite the mystery. Um, so, uh, it slowly reveals more. 
That's actually the way the Dreaming Void, the thing that put me off is that I thought, what? This doesn't sound like very much hard sci-fi. You know, I mean, I want hard sci-fi. And like some void of dreaming, so that, is, that seemed a little bit too bizarre. Sort of like where the Neutronium Alchemist stuff all went. Yeah, Remember? Yeah. Like all, you know, like the people, well, I don't want to give yeah, it away. It but, might not be you know, quite your cup of tea. Yeah. Well, I'm into it. Oh, and what, what I like what I like now is, the. I mean, it, it takes a commitment because he launches about seven threads that aren't at yeah. all connected. And you're learning about these yeah. very different sort of people. And you're going, why do I care about him? And why do you I will. care about her? You will. Yes. Oh, I know. And then, <laughs> then a little, together. they kind of, the threads cross over. And it's like, ooh. Which one has Al Capone in it? That, that's, that was the Neutronium Alchemist stuff. That was the very first major set of books and it started off okay then it kind of drifted off I course so it, sick of it by the end of it it was like okay yeah yeah, yeah that agree. that one not crazy about loved pandora's star yep yeah and uh Without and the dreaming void well i'll be curious what you think yeah i will i will let you know so um spin right we've uh continuing to work on it uh that's really all i'm gonna say is that uh man. We, we've yeah we uh the, all the PCI enumeration is done. We spent the last week, when I say we, I mean I and this great team that I've got working with me um, in the news group. Um, I've, we, over, over last week, spin test eight and spin test nine were produced. Where The problem is that the PC goes back now about 25 years. And some of the things I want to do have questionable levels of support from in the BIOS. For example, now we can find all the hardware, but it's necessary to understand which of what the BIOS sees that Spinrite has found and to associate the BIOS drives with the PCI controllers so that Spinrite can present a coherent picture because you could have devices which are not on the PCI bus, which older machines would have, but which the BIOS knows about, so Spinrite needs to. You could have devices which are on the PCI bus, but the BIOS doesn't know about. Remember, famously, you know, Greg spends a lot of time telling people if the BIOS can see it, Spinrite can work on it. Well, Spinrite 6.1 won't really care whether the BIOS can see it or not, because it'll just nail it right down at the hardware level, but we still, we don't want to, we can't ignore the BIOS. We need to integrate those them together. And so uh, there there are a number of poorly supported APIs in the past, which were giving us grief last week, and we've got it all tamed and nailed down now. And so I'm working on the next iteration of this, which is going to pull it all together. So work is proceeding, and uh, uh, we're going to have a, a good next release of Spinrite, which, as I have said before, will be free for all Spinrite 6 owners. Aren't you, aren't you a wonderful feller? It's the right thing to do. Uh, before, so are you ready to get into the uh, the uh, meat of the matter here? The yep. uh, the subject. Yep. So let's well, bef- second half. We, we second have half. It, yeah yeah inflection points to come. We're going to take an intermission. We, where are we timing wise? What uh, do we want to? We got about, about twenty minutes. Is that okay. enough? That is yes. All right. Uh, I just wanted to mention Pro XPN. I thought this you know it's been great <laughs> in light of all of this NSA stuff and security oh. stuff. It really couldn't be better timing for Pro XPN. They're very happy. They want to thank you for your support. Uh, ProXPN is a, uh, a virtual private network provider. They use OpenVPN, the open source solution. It's the best. They also offer PPTP, which is not as good, but 
excuse me, on some mobile devices, that's your choice. That's all you can do. Uh, so you have the choice. But if you want to protect yourself against the uh, your Internet service spreader, you know, if you're in Great Britain, I bet you could use this and avoid all that filtering. If you wanted to uh, ignore uh, geographical restrictions for Internet content, if you wanted to uh, eliminate the six strikes problem, you can do all of that with ProXPN. They're, they're global. That means they're everywhere in the world. Well, not everywhere, but they have servers in many nations. So you have your choice of where you want to emerge onto the public Internet. You can do it in Holland, in Singapore, in the U.S., of course. Um, they, they, uh, they offer a free service, but I do want you to try the, the, the pro version because you get better speeds and lots more features. And Now, normally that's $9.95 a month, or you can buy a yearly plan, which is $74.95. But if you use our offer code SN20, you'll get 20% off, not for the first month or year, but forever, for the lifetime of your account. So at the yearly plan, that becomes less than $5 a month. That's really good for that kind of protection. You can use it on your iOS or Android device. Total privacy on the go. No app required. World-class customer support. Try it. You can even cancel within seven days for a full refund. Best, best way to find out, try it. And get that 20% off when you use the offer code SN20. The site again, proxpn.com, proxpn.com. Gibson approved. All right, let's talk about whatever so, it is, whatever this means. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned Rahm Emanuel's famous quote, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, which he got a lot of flack yeah. for saying, but then that's wrong. A little too honest. Yeah. Um, what I th- what I think we're going to see, and, and it's too early to know because because we need to see how this settles out. But there certainly there are lawsuits filed. There are hearings being held. You know, the the question which we don't have the answer to yet, is post 9-11, was there legislative and law enforcement overreach? That is, did, did that crisis allow the forces of surveillance in the United States to obtain more power than we wanted them to have? And the arguments are that due to the funda- fundamentally due to the secrecy aspect of this, which, you know, is I mean, and this is the dilemma because we're trying to have an open democracy, yet it's there is a really good case to be made for the fact that that some of what is being done needs to be kept secret. Maybe. I mean, that's a question. Um in order to catch the bad guys. Uh, I think that's that's actually not as clear as the surveillance system would like it to be because they would absolutely like to operate with absolute secrecy and just a big trust us. And the problem is, as we've discussed in the past, that's not worked out well often. So so I, I feel like we're... The reason I called this podcast Inflection Points is it feels like we're at one again. You know, we have been before where a period where where there are 
competing forces and competing motivations, and, and also time is a factor. I, I remember famously, for example, after the, the horrible school shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut, I was watching the talking heads, and they were all very aware of the fact that right now everybody, you know, emotions were running high, everybody was upset, who wouldn't be? But if if those if the forces that wanted to use this as their big opportunity to further constrain gun rights were going to be able to succeed in doing so they had to do it quickly the point was people would forget as you said leo cnn has moved on to babies you know from from snowden and you know royal births and all of this so i mean unfortunately this is what happens I mean, this is the nature of that. And so so on a much larger scale, post 9-11, the country was in shock and and there was a sense of, you know, we didn't remember that, I mean, like restaurant sales dropped because nobody was going outside. We were all watching television and, and there was a real concern about what's going to happen next. So it's it's natural for us to perhaps over grant rights to to law enforcement during that kind of time because we're we're scared we're afraid um which is essentially is the crux of what rom was saying when he says never let a serious crisis go to waste the point is you can use fear people forces can use fear to to achieve but you know over time we recover that's what humans do is we understand the way the world has changed if it has we 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 accommodate a reality which is different than what we had before that event and and maybe that accommodation has us always being somewhere else for example maybe we will reach the decision that yes we we want surveillance because we maturely accept the fact that that's the cost of dealing with asymmetric warfare and terrorism, or maybe we'll say, well, we don't want that much surveillance, or maybe we'll say we want, you know, you can have it, but you've got to tell us about it. We made a mistake allowing it to be secret. You know, who knows? I, I don't know. And I really don't even have a horse in this race. I'm, you know, I have no control over it. Um, I'm, I'm a, an observer and interested to see how this turns out. So, so, just Friday, uh, Ars Technica reported uh, a headline that caught some people's attention was Snowden be damned. Government renews U.S. call. Um, uh, uh, renews U.S. call re- record order. I don't know how that makes sense. Uh, but their subtitle is, again, feds argue there's no legitimate expectation of privacy over metadata. And so what happened on Friday, and there is this is interesting also, the Director of National Intelligence, our friend James Clapper, <clears throat> released a statement saying that its authorization, the DNI's authorization to compel telephone companies to share metadata has been renewed by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Um, so 
what's significant, and the, I'm, I'm skipping down, the, the move is particularly noteworthy and unusual as this type of data sharing had previously been kept from the public. But now, on the other hand, why bother keeping it secret now? The cat's out of the bag. But now, one of the country's top intelligence officials is publicly acknowledging that the FISC, that's the court, has sanctioned continuation of its powers. In the new statement, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper wrote that he had declassified some information, quote, in order to provide the public with a more thorough and balanced understanding of the program. In its new statement, the DNI also wrote, consistent with his prior declassification decision and in light of the significant and continuing public interest in the telephony metadata collection program, the DNI has decided to declassify and disclose publicly that the government filed an application with a foreign intelligence surveillance court seeking renewal of the authority to collect telephony metadata in bulk. And that court renewed the authority. Meanwhile, the government has formally responded to a lawsuit brought by the ACLU versus James Clapper, suing the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, sued James Clapper, arguing uh, to halt the the nationwide metadata spying program. In its federal lawsuit filed on June 11th, the ACLU argued... This surveillance is not authorized by Section 215, which we discussed in our first podcast, and violates the First and Fourth Amendments. Plaintiffs bring this suit to obtain a declaration that the mass call tracking is unlawful, to enjoin the government from continuing the mass call tracking under the the VBNS order, and that must be Verizon Business something or other, order or any successor thereto and to require the government to purge from its databases all of the call records related to plaintiff's communications collected pursuant to the mass call tracking. Um, so, so this is what I mean when I say, you know, we're beginning to see, you know, the chips falling and lawsuits being filed and the government responding and I think, again, this is all good. Um, this is what has to happen. And then at the same time, actually, I think this was Monday. So a couple of days later, two days ago, the New Jersey Supreme Court unanimously ruled that warrants were needed for phone tracking. Um, the Computer World reported that cell phone users have a reasonable expectation of privacy of their cell phone location information, and police must obtain search warrants before accessing that information. The Supreme Court of New Jersey ruled, oh, I'm sorry, this was Thursday, also last week. Quote, and this was important when they said, although the, 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 the great quotes here at the end, they said, when people make disclosures to phone companies and other providers, so this is the court, um, and other providers to use their services, They are not promoting the release of personal information to others, wrote Chief Justice Stuart Rabner in a unanimous ruling on on an appeal. Instead, they can reasonably expect that their personal information will remain private. 
The issue of boundaries in the use of cell phone data by law enforcement agencies has figured in other courts and state legislatures. Yeah, no kidding. The Montana legislature passed a law recently requiring police and other agencies to obtain a search warrant from a court before tracking a person using location information from an electronic device. Federal courts have been divided on the issue of cell phone tracking by law enforcement. But historically, the New, Dur- the New Jersey Constitution has offered greater protection to New Jersey residents than the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, Rabner observed. The Fourth Amendment protects against unreasonable searches and seizures. And so here's the key line in this. Under settled New Jersey law, individuals do not lose their right to privacy simply because they have to give information to a third-party provider, like a phone company or bank, in order to get service, the judge wrote. Evaluating the legal implications of cell phone technology, the judge wrote that, quote, as a general rule, the more sophisticated and precise the tracking, the greater the privacy concern. Well, so that's interesting because it is it is specifically this notion of of third party that the government is using. The end of that Ars Technica uh, story says, in short, the government is relying on a well-established but increasingly challenged part of American case law known as the third party doctrine. This notion says that when a person has voluntarily disclosed information to a third party, in this case, the telephone company, the customer no longer has a reasonable expectation of privacy over the numbers dialed nor their duration. Therefore, this doctrine argues such metadata can be accessed by law enforcement with essentially no problem. So, so what, what, what we have is we have you know, a confluence of opposing opinions and forces that, that have all arisen as a consequence of the of the disclosure, which is why I'm glad that this happened, is I mean, this you cannot do this in secret. We have to have this public for our for our system to operate. And then today, on this July 24th, um, just last night, there was uh, some some argument in the House of Representatives. There's going to be a vote, may have been by this time, on an amendment to the the current still in work defense appropriations bill uh, to end the authority for the blanket collection of records under the Patriot Act, which would bar the NSA and other agencies from using Section 15 of the Patriot Act to collect records, including telephone call records that pertain to persons who are not subject to an investigation under Section 215. So... I don't know what the vote was on that. This, to me, this seems premature. Probably did not pass. Um, but it, you know, I don't. It's as I said. We always see that we're initially upset, and then we sort of get used to the new status quo. So the question is, how long does this last? Where do we settle down on on what we agree as a as a as a society? to have in this in this in this balance of the need for surveillance and 
the the fact that our constitution wants to protect protect and give us individual privacy. House Representative Jim Sensenbrenner said on the 17th, he said, Section 215 expires at the end of 2015. Unless you realize you've got a problem, this was during a um, a uh, uh, a meeting in, in the House. He said, so he was speaking to, to the Intelligence Committee saying, unless you realize you've got a problem, Section 215 is not going to be renewed. There are not the votes in the House of Representatives to renew Section 215 at this time. So, again, 2015 uh, is a long ways away. Who's to say what position we will be in? We will be in by then. And then finally, I'll wrap all this with back to Bruce Schneier, who who has been blogging brilliantly, I think, about these topics and. Uh, he did a blog just yesterday on the 23rd of July, how the FISA court undermines trust. And Bruce cited a link to two samples. Um, first was a, uh, Eric Licht, Lichtblau in the New York Times wrote, he said, in secret, the court vastly, oh, the, the title of the story was, in secret, court vastly broadens powers of NSA. In more than a dozen classified rulings, the nation's surveillance court has created a secret body of law, giving the National Security Agency the power to amass vast collections of data on Americans while pursuing not only terrorism suspects, but also people possibly involved in nuclear proliferation, espionage, and cyber attacks, officials say. The rulings some nearly 100 pages long, revealed that the court has taken on a much more expansive role by regularly assessing broad constitutional questions and establishing important judicial precedents with almost no public scrutiny, according to current and former officials familiar with the court's classified decisions. So that's the first point. Second is the Wall Street Journal... Uh, an article titled The Secret Court's Broad Interpretation of Relevant Enabled Vast Spying. This change, which specifically enabled the surveillance recently revealed by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden, was made by the Secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, a group of judges responsible for making decisions about about government surveillance in national security cases. In classified orders... Starting in the mid-2000s, the court accepted that, quote, relevant, unquote, could be broadened to permit an entire database of records on millions of people, in contrast to a more conservative interpretation widely applied in criminal cases, in which only some of those records would likely be allowed, according to people familiar with the ruling. Okay, so Bruce then steps back and and gives us, I think, just a perfect analysis. He says, surveillance types make a distinction between secrecy of laws, secrecy of procedures, and secrecy of operations. The expectation is that the laws that empower or limit 
the government's surveillance powers are always public. The programs built on top of those laws are often secret, and the individual operations are almost always secret. As long as the public knows about and agreed to the law, the thinking goes, it's okay for the government to build a secret surveillance architectural architecture atop it. But the, the, the FISA court is, in effect, breaking the first link in that chain. The public no longer knows about the law itself, and most of Congress may not know either. The courts have remade the law, but they've done so secretly without public comment or review, which I think exactly sums it up. Yep. So that's really where we are. I, uh, the, the one thought that I had in reading all this, the, the, the part that I guess the thing that I wanted to sort of postulate as a solution, because we have a problem here. There, there's, there, are, there are even now defense attorneys, Leo, that are trying to subpoena the NSA records because they believe that they will help their case. And so it, the, the argument actually has very has like, like, like some strong legs to stand on is the government has records which it's using to prosecute. But legal precedent says that the prosecution must turn over all evidence, even if it would be exculpatory, you know, even if it would be useful to the defense. And so the defense attorneys are saying, hey, you've got to give it to us. You've got it. We have a right to to use it to, for example, demonstrate that our client wasn't where you are are trying to say he was and his phone records will demonstrate he wasn't. So give us the phone records because you've obviously got them. Yep. So the only thing <sighs> I can think, the only way I can I can like say, okay, how do we solve this problem is maybe to have an escrow. The, the problem is that the people who want to do surveillance also want to be the people who have it all. And, and the argument is that we have, we've short-circuited the traditional process of obtaining a search warrant. Nobody, none of, not, not, none of the ISPs, none of the big cloud providers, none of them have a problem. If a judge reviews a case and gives the FBI a warrant for the information, it'll be turned over. That's the, I mean, that's fine. The, the problem is that taps have been installed on the Internet and all of this data is, is being surveilled without warrant. These, I mean, famously, warrantless wiretapping. Now it's wire, warrantless net tapping. So imagine if this was taken away from the NSA. That is, if, if the, inf I mean, I can, I, can, I can sympathize with the need to build networks, to follow the, the call traces of, of possibly known terrorists. Who did they talk to? And even to go back in history, that, thus the metadata, you know, the big, the big web that, that the data can be crunched through. 
The problem is it, it has to have oversight. It has to have, you know, it just, it can't be that, that, that the NSA who wants to perform the surveillance gets to have limitless access to this information in secret and just says, trust us. And I mean, that isn't the way our system works. And so the only thing I can think of as I, as I look at the technology coming again from a technology standpoint is that there is an escrow, that this is, that all of this data is held and, you know, by, you know, give it to the ACLU. <laughs> they certainly aren't going to turn it over with, you know, without due process and then return to the process of, of a, of a judge saying, you know, issuing a formal search warrant for search of specific individuals in this network and then turn over that data. I, that's the only solution I can, I can see. Other, either that or we just decide, okay, we live in a world where our government now needs to watch everything we do and so be it. I'm afraid the latter seems the most likely most likely outcome, but yeah, well, we'll, we'll do our best. Lots, it gives us lots to talk about on this podcast yeah. about TNO technology and and yeah. end to end encryption and how we can. I mean, I I hate the idea of needing to hide from the surveillance state, but uh, and again, you know, my favorite quote from someone who tweeted it is, you know, when people say, "Well, why do you care about encryption if you have nothing to hide?" To which I, which the response is, I have nothing to hide from people I trust. Simple and, enough. Yeah, that, that's just exactly it. Yes, I, I, I that's a small I, subset I, of the total population. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steve Gibson, and, and yeah, know about the danger of Big Brother. Yes, we do. Unfortunately, yeah. Steve Gibson is at uh, grc.com. That's his website, Gibson Research Corporation. You could find him on Twitter at sggrc. Uh, if you go to grc.com, you'll find, uh, of course, lots of great stuff, including Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, and 16 kilobit versions of this show for the bandwidth impaired. Uh, transcriptions, too, by an actual human being who can spell and say basilisk. <laughs> Elaine Ferris. You uh, can find full quality audio and video at our website, twit.tv slash SN. And of course, subscribe. You'll get this show whenever it uh, comes out on your favorite device. There's lots of podcatchers out there now. Plenty of ways to get uh, security now automatically. If you'd like to watch live, we'd love you to do it. 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC, every Wednesday. That's when we, uh, we've, we open the cameras and let you watch us record the show live. And, of course, the chat room is always a big part of the show. Hey, thank you, Steve Gibson, uh, for being here. And, uh, always glad to be. If you've got a question for Steve, he's going to do, if time and security news permitting, <laughs> a Q&A yeah, episode next we, week. We've got to get back to our questions. So we'll do de definitely do listener questions next week. So go to grc.com slash feedback and pose a question or two, and we'll answer Please. as many as we can next week. Thanks, Steve. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Security.